So do you um, you edit this, I assume, to make us both no, sound it's, fascinating? No, I, 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 it's, it's all completely unedited. And, uh, no, it's I raw footage. <laughs> it's raw footage. And I don't tell you, and I ask embarrassing questions. And I, I make stuff up. And I, no. Swear at me. <laughs> I swear at you when you're not here. What, so what's the, before we begin, what is the point what of this the podcast? Point like, of all this? What, what, why are you doing it? Welcome to Talking Books. I'm Simon Mattox, and I read out loud for a living. Yes, I'm an audiobook narrator. And in this series of podcasts, I get together with an author whose book or books I've recorded, and we talk about writing, recording, and all things talking books. Well, okay, first of all, let me just say, um, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Alice Kavanagh, as I have to call you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Today, you, I am well, Alice Kavanagh. And this is not a secret. Um, you, you've written under other names. Uh, yes, a whole handful of them. Well, tell me the other names. Um, I started out under my married name, which was Bernadette Strachan. And uh, then I became Juliet Ashton. Uh, then I became Catherine. Uh, oh, what did I become? <laughs> Catherine Raphael, I think. Wow. And, okay. uh, we're going, I know. We're slightly more exotic. Exactly. Now, we? And Catherine then we Raphael. come plummeting back down to earth, uh, returning to my Irish roots with Alice Kavanagh. And also under my. Um, my maiden name, which sounds like an incredibly Edwardian thing to say, um, I write musicals as well. I wrote musicals under the name Bernie oh. Gorn. So, so yeah, do, my real name we, is also out there. Do you there. sleep? No, we are a creative factory <laughs> in our house. Um, we just think, no, I'm like a robot. I just sit at the computer <laughs> and type out whimsy. <laughs> That's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, well, so, so anyway, to answer your previous question, yes. I've recorded quite a number of books. I've recorded, I don't know, over 100 now. Wow. Uh, on Audible. And um, so there's a, quite a number of authors I can badger yeah. to talk to me. And, yeah. I, and I will try and do it and, and see what happens. And so far, you know, people have been very, very open to the idea. And I thought, oh, it'd be interesting because I don't know if you have you've come across this, but there's, a, there's always a slight... I don't know what the word is, really. There seems to be a middleman with the the audiobook publishers or the um, publishers themselves who sort of like, no, ne'er the twain shall meet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Narrators don't bother the authors. No, it's true. And I don't really understand why. It's a bit unhelpful, I think. Um, Yeah, I mean, usually all we know of the audiobook being recorded is you get a... It's always in the contract that the audiobook is included in the in the publisher's remit. And then you get a call to say either, I mean, the, the not so nice call is the, oh, it's being recorded and this person is recording it. Or the, oh, it's being recorded, here are three thoughts. What do you think? Um, but I do find that unless one is, you know, J.K. Rowling, the level of... Um, influence you have as an author is very small there is a kind of let's leave them in their their room to type and think and we will do the rest of the work so no i agree i would love to chat with people who are about to read the books because you must have questions because a book is a flat thing on a page mm-hmm. um i once had um i do i've written a trilogy about the archers the archers pre pre the radio series all set in wartime and they okay. um they got patricia hodge to read that i would have loved to meet patricia hodge and chat to her yes. and actually on the day i had panic-stricken calls saying miss hodge has asked does she have to do a midlands accent and all this kind of thing um and you know 10 minutes would have sorted that out so yeah there is a middleman and it's not one it's like a, a an office full of middlemen so i think there should be more collaboration it would definitely lead to better readings although to be honest I've never heard an audiobook I didn't thoroughly enjoy. Mine and other people's. Okay. I think it's a very polished industry, actually. 
Okay. I think it's a, it's it's doing well, considering they literally chuck the book at you and yes. leave you in your studio. Yes. Well, I yeah. So I have over the last two or three years, I suppose, slightly subverted it in a couple of a couple of cases, and gradually, you know, publishers will open up. So yes, yeah, so I should just say that I have just recorded last week, finished recording, oh. uh, the house that made us, which was your book. Yes. Uh, you, you, you do know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know so far, am I? No. And I just want to say, I absolutely loved that book. Oh, that is no, music to an author's ears. Really? I mean, oh, I'm, I'm glad. I just got so involved and so invested in it. Yeah. Oh, all. good. I enjoyed writing it. I really enjoyed writing it. Had a very strong central male character, and I just loved him. I loved him I and loved I wanted the too. best for him. And of course, I had to torture him because that's what you do yes. in literature. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, it's quite unusual for me to have a, a male voice. Is it? Okay. So the fact that there was a central male and there's a man reading the audiobook is is newish for me. Okay. So um, it was it was interesting and I, it could not have been done by a woman. Definitely not. No. But there's also a very strong female character. There is, who you have to crack out your Dublin accent for. I did. And it's adorable. And I was very nervous. It's adorable. I'm... No, it's spot on. It, it? okay. It's just how I heard her. It's a okay. very working class, ordinary Dublin accent. It's not a fancy pants dressed up accent at okay. all. And you, you got her. Because again, breaking all sorts of protocol, I did send you the first chapter that I'd recorded. Yeah. Because I knew we were doing this. That's I wanted exciting. To, well, I wanted to, you know... And, and I was very nervous because you are of Irish descent. You are Irish. Yeah. Are you, do you, yeah. how do you, what do you say? Do you say um, you're Irish? What do you I say? say I'm Irish. I was born here, but every atom in me is Irish. So I can't really... But I'm, you know, I'm one of those interesting people who can support England and also be Irish. So, yeah, I grew up... was born and grew up here, but grew up in an Irish household. So okay. I'm very... Yeah, I don't know what I am. You say of Irish descent, but that sounds so formal. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like me. So I just say I'm Irish. Okay. Shorthand. Okay. And so Marie from Dublin and her sisters. Yes. She has uh, two sisters. Two sisters. Uh, yeah, you know this better than me. And a brother. Well, I've just, right. I've just read yeah. it, so, yeah. you know. Um, and they're marvellous. And her parents, Pat and Nora. That's I, right, I yeah. Believe. Yes, well, again, well remembered. Just, just a wonderful, and, and just that whole evocation of, of that kind of very close, very yeah. very loving, but also quite sometimes quite warring, yeah. close-knit Irish family. I mean, I don't know mm. if it's peculiar to Ireland, but it's certainly sort of... Yeah lives you know there's a kind of great joy to it i think if there's reading. a universality to it isn't there mm. and i think even if your own family isn't like that you know families like that and there's a lot of families like that in literature and certainly my family were exactly like that when i was imagining them it was in my my nana's kitchen in um, Dublin with a priest on hand and people <laughs> singing, people crying at the drop of a hat and the the twitchy, vinegary old spinster aunt who was shocked by everything. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that bit just... All that wrote itself. I'm obviously dying to write a war and peace length thing about my nana's kitchen because that bit just came out. Um, Good title. But it was, yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it and also it was a nice juxtaposition for the main character who is who grew up very lonely and not feeling like he had family mm. and feeling like he had a mark of Cain on his forehead that people could sense he was somehow other and to be just accepted by these people and have his hair ruffled and be teased. It's that kind of culture clash of people who don't 
unbend a lot yes. around people who don't even notice you not liking what they're doing. They will simply be themselves yes. around you and yes. love you as well, just yes. like you're one of us. Because um, Mac, Ian McTavish, the main character, who I, I must say I was slightly disappointed because I... When I first started to read it, I thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. So he's Ian McTavish. I thought he's going to be Scots. Oh, and, you're going to show off, And then you? we've got Marie from Dublin. Oh, you know, I was my like, God. This is my dream come true. Man of a thousand voices at the... At the no. But no. No, he's no, London. Ian's a, Ian's a London boy. He's London. Um, but which was still great to, yes. to be able to do that. His aunt is very close, who brings him up. Yeah. Tatty. Um, she is completely unlike Marie and Marie's family, yes. isn't she? Yeah. She's very reserved. Yeah. She's very reserved. I think she's very scared of emotion. Um, again, I know people like this and I'm amazed at how small they make their world in order to control it mm. and how they say things that are really cold. Like in the chapter you sent me, the first one, I mean, she's his only relative and she says to him on the wedding day, well, you're off my hands now. That kind of, um, mm. you're a burden... Um, I think it's really dangerous to say to children. I think they should never feel that they are a, a burden. And of course, Ian is in his 20s when she says that to him, but he's still, a, we're all still children. Mm. So yeah, I, I enjoyed writing her and giving her quite a lot of um, drama because she just couldn't cope with drama or emotion or feeling. But then of course, there is a part of the book where kind of love explodes into Tati's life. And she rather go overdoes it so yes. she has no practice at being loved and she gets it all wrong yes. and i think she's I, i'm quite rooting for her poor old thing i liked her yes i like her too um in fact i should probably mention that i'm assuming if we if we're going to talk about the book in depth there's going to be some spoilers i don't think we can talk about it without having no. a spoiler actually especially so. if we're going to talk about the actual process of recording it because it gave you really a huge problem in that the identity of two people is supposed to remain secret throughout but of course you're giving them a voice and, yes. and i was hiding behind it being on the page yes. and there being no accents involved yeah. i did my best with the language but uh yeah i it, yeah there, there's a secret and um it really isn't that much of a secret i don't think in the audiobook i'm hoping it stands up well Yes, yes. So, so basically, the, each chapter starts with a, a short piece with two people talking, looking at a photograph album. Yes. Which is, I think, is a, is a, is a lovely idea. And, and they look at the family that we then go on to, to uh, learn about. Yeah. The old lady has found this photograph album. Yes. And they're, they're sort of making up stories about them and wondering about them. Yeah. But when you come to record that, yeah. of course, you can't no. You can't give them the no. voices as characters that they have within exactly. the, the main story. Exactly. Because otherwise the people go, oh, well, it's so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah, it's just them and there's yeah. no switcheroo. No. So, yeah, that was, a, a I imagine, a, a, um, a bit of a, a problem for you and required some thinking before you sat down to do well, it. Well, unfortunately, we were able to, to talk about that yeah. Yeah. in advance. Because, again, if we hadn't, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I suppose I, I, I don't know. Possibly would have made the same decision, but you wouldn't have had such confidence in it. No, that's true. And that may well have translated into yeah. the no, way no, you did it. Absolutely, it's like tentativeness rather than a going for it. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's hard, isn't it? I I mean, I do think acting with your voice only. I used to work in radio, and I used to also represent voice actors as an agent. Yes, yeah, so you were a voiceover agent. Yes, I Who was a voiceover with? agent. I was with the um, No Gay. Okay. Do you remember Noel Gay? Yes, I do. Tremendously big setup, and then I went out on my own, and I was called Natural Voice, 
and I um, that natural voice. Yeah, I have a weird feeling when because we've never met before, but I no. had a weird feeling that I may have met you many, many, many. Oh, years I wouldn't ago be a bit surprised. At some kind of voiceovery party. Yeah, some kind of horrible, <laughs> horrible why, why room been, above a pub exactly, somewhere exactly, in Soho. Exactly, yes. and someone throwing up and people oh. getting off with each other. Yes, I yes. dare say because there were a lot of those parties. Because the the thing is that things have changed now. I think Soho yeah. is rather conservative, and I think it's a different thing now voiceovering has contracted massively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i was almost there in the wild west boom time when people were making life altering amounts each year yes well i mean i was i mean i wasn't making life altering amounts but i was certainly doing the boom time yeah so i, I so i used to i used to do commercials i didn't do audiobooks ever. yeah and i've listened to your reel i definitely um, know your voice from and commercials. Did commercials for years and it, all the studios were in soho yeah and three little streets around, yeah and, and then you'd have to lurk i always had actors lurking on my sofa yeah. In Mead Street. Um, okay, yeah, and, so there was lots of lurking. Uh, yeah, lots on. of lurking, lots of turning up just before lunchtime, I used to notice. I, I could imagine. Yeah. Bloody actors. Yeah, um, typical. And um, N. Reitheld, you know. Oh, God. I mean, well, no, he, yeah. he was the first one, really, who, who started to make it a, a proper career as opposed to a, a sort of side job. Hmm. And yes, he. Um, but it was it was funny, isn't it? I mean, we're getting into now sort of history. But it was N. Rytel who kind of sparked the great voiceover strike. Do you remember when um, Sarchi, <laughs> Sarchi and Sarchi suddenly said, "We will not give these irks who turn up smelling a beer all this money for for um, doing these." Well, I remember going to a, a meeting about that in the Poland Centre in Hammersmith, and it just ludicrous oh, all these God. people going well my dear we have to strike we Ex- have to absolutely oh. you know, and of course it <laughs> so wasn't long silly. after the miners strike yeah. you know people going dig deep for the miners exactly. and you just see dig dig even deeper for the voiceover <laughs> yeah, artists exactly. would you dare? the actors the yeah. actors beep if you support the actors <laughs> yeah yeah I no i was very very against it yeah. but this was kind of it was jam the money oh absolutely no I, yes i think that was it it wasn't it wasn't like we were some no <laughs> you weren't hard done by we, we weren't we weren't you know changing exactly. people's lives Can you you were going in for an hour. Yeah. Um, Sometimes an hour and a half. Sometimes actually. it was a really, really tough if one. It was really difficult. Yeah, if you were like the voice of a Pringle or something. <laughs> but I also, I loved the fact that I had quite a lot of celebrities. I had then my mid-range of just people. You wouldn't know who they were, but they made a fortune. Mm. And then I had my struggling ones. Right. Who, when they got three gigs a year, meant they could do the theatre job that wasn't very well paid. It meant they could get a boiler. Sure. So it, I really loved the fact that the money was silly and I really loved the fact that the work was quite silly, mm. but you had to be very good at it. And it's one of those things, isn't it? I bet you get this all the time. People think they could do voiceovers oh, because sure. somebody's told them they have a lovely voice. Oh, yes. But actually, it's a skill and you get more and more and more and more skilled and you get to the point where you can sit down, read something, you can come up with something, you know when to shut up because the director's a big head, you do it like he wants it, or you you kind of subvert it. There's a real skill, it's about diplomacy, it's about acting talent, it's a real skill, and I never felt they were overpaid because whatever we were getting paid, such and such, were adding noughts to that. Sure. So it's, it's a silly industry where people want to spend money. But this is commercials we're talking about. Yes. Audiobooks, that certainly doesn't happen. I mean, obviously, we don't want to get into money on either side of it in terms of you know, no, writing or in terms of audiobooks. But basically, it isn't a license to print money. It's no. you know, you don't get terribly well paid. No. But it was interesting. There was, I think there was an article in, in the Sunday Times last weekend saying mm. that writers yeah. are now being paid 
even less. Yeah. Oh, my advances have gone down since I started 20 years ago. Um, and you get the odd little hit, so you get more royalties, so that keeps you going. But yeah, I think um, people entering the business now are getting very small advances, mm. you know, like under 10 grand. And, you know, it's difficult because th those fees are cut up into three. You get a third on signing, a third on delivery, and a third on publication. So your average writer, it's not a living wage, but it has always been like that. Right. It has always. I remember Has when it? I went into it, it was the same. Okay. So, so what made you? That's what I was. That was what I was going to ask you. What made you leave the fantastic world of <laughs> voiceover agenting and go into into writing? I was burned out at agenting. It really was like running a kindergarten where everyone was six foot. It was <laughs> so wearing. I got a kind of phobia of the phone because I was on the phone all day mm. and every third call was a problem or a crying actress. And you know what a crying actress is like and how much energy that takes. One, um, one should say that also crying actors yeah, can, oh, yeah, can oh, also be a pain in the actually, ass as well. come on. Yeah, what yeah. am I talking yeah, about? Yeah, I was going to say, they're even worse. Uh, sometimes I get them both in together and, oh, boy, uh, you yeah. know, they're all having affairs with each other it mm, was it mm, was mm, terrible so i went on holiday with my husband to france and um he said slightly querulously i think oh you're always talking about writing a book do it and i did it i wrote i sat down every day of that holiday and wrote a treatment and i came back one phone call sold it i don't have a story of woe um and then i was off and i kept up both jobs for a while and then i just thought no I can't do both and I really am exhausted of um, agenting it's very intense agenting because you build relationships with all your clients and not all your clients are terribly nice people Simon um, really? so, yeah. so they can kind of take a lot out of you yes so I um, I closed the agency and uh, went into writing full-time yeah my, and, and this was this was you know in the days when it was a first contract and it was for three books which was the next three years. Wow. Okay. So it was great. And also I got a very influential editor who loved it. I thought this was how books were edited. She gave me three things to change in the book. I mean, that's very unusual. Wow. Normally it's, you know, it's like reams and reams of ideas. She took me out to lunch. I thought she was wonderful. Then six months before the book came out, she quit the business unexpectedly. And I got passed to someone who didn't care that much and that's how it goes yes you know you you get passed on you leave that publisher you've and been a bit of a trollop i've gone from publisher to publisher but um yeah i've published now 26 books which wow. makes me sound like one of those victorian women who had eight children and wrote before <laughs> you know before <laughs> breakfast but it's um extraordinary so how many it is it's how a lot many do you write in a year uh, well, I'd been writing, I was writing one a year, and then I thought that was lackadaisical. Um, so I write two a year on the whole. Wow. Yeah, it is dizzying, and it does mean you just work every day. Yeah. I do like, you know, when people say, so when do you write? When do you think I write? I write literally all bloody day. I publish two books a year. I write between 6 and 6.30. Exactly. When I, I take my first glass of Chablis exactly. on the veranda. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Or the other question you get asked as a writer, because uh, if people haven't heard of you, they don't think you're real. They don't. And they, um, I remember going to a wedding, uh, a family wedding, and an old gent said, oh, I hear you're a writer. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, and do your books get published? I said, no, I leave them in the nook of an, an old oak, and those who happen upon them can read them. Of course they can. 
publish your old coot. Um, so yeah, it, it's very it's a very odd profession. Much like acting, people misunderstand acting all the time, don't they? Yes. Although I, I must say, I do love the idea of leaving them in the, in the nook of an old oak. <laughs> And in fact, there are. It's, it's Alice's new book, will, there will yes. be some copies of it yeah. left yeah. in the nook of an old oak yeah. Yeah. somewhere on Ham yeah. Common. The squirrels to... Yes, in case you want to go and find Yes. So we should get back to this wonderful we book. We should. And, and I, I was so excited to meet you because, I just, honestly, I loved this book so yeah, much. Well, that's very kind So of how it. would you describe... It's a family saga, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I know it's, they talk about the house, and the, obviously yeah. the house is important, but the family. Yeah, the house is the anchor. Which you could say is the heart. It is the heart. heart all, those, all those old cliches. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I've got a great love for ugly houses, and the house is quite ugly, and they don't know that. They think mm. it's an absolute modern mansion. It's bigger than anywhere they've ever lived, even though it's tiny, and they they do it up with extreme bad taste. And they they do awful things to it. And they love it and they light the lamps and they cuddle up together on the sofa. Mm. But it's interesting. It it was very nice because I followed them through a fifty year marriage mm. in told in photographs. They begin this little tradition of taking a, a photograph every day on the wedding anniversary outside the house. So as children come and children go, they're included and the, there's dogs and cats included because they're just as important in my view. And um, it, it gives you a sense of social history. You know, the high street around the corner really changes from a cosy place to a place full of chains to then a slightly moribund place and they also they have all their changing clothes and poor little Marie who you so enjoyed giving a voice to tries all the latest fashions she even does. though she's dumpy she's there in her she mini skirts does. and her big hats and she gets Wonderful. obsessed with Lady Diana which I, I, which I love oh that I was so that. nostalgic for me because I remember everyone having Lady Diana's hair and Lady, and um, she just really relates hard to her for quite quite a sad reason as we mm, discover yeah. so this feeling in it she's not just a kind of fanatic so yeah we follow them and it it was just nice that they never moved yeah so did you grow up in a in an ugly house or, or an... no i grew up in a very lovely house did actually i grew up in fulham off the fulham road oh, okay um in um pre-gentrification fulham uh in a three three-story uh victorian house which was just me and my mum and dad and they had it for like threepence a month um it because it, nobody wanted to live in fulham at the time you're an only child i'm very much an only child i'm very Thank much you for noticing. well i'm an only child as well. oh are you yes yeah oh mm, we're okay. we're oddies aren't we we're oddities well, are we okay i <laughs> think we're we great are. i think we're great but we're very we're very happy on our own Okay, I might dispute that. Really? Mm. Well, you're surrounded by tribes of children, aren't you? You've... Yes, yes, but that's why I think. So when I did, when I did have kids and and stepchildren and everything, I was. I mean, that was fantastic for me because yeah. because those, the, for instance, We've... those Christmases and those yeah. those family events yeah. as an only child. Yeah. I, I don't know if you found this. They're quite lonely, really, and quite quiet. I Nothing did, wrong with it. But... I didn't find it lonely. I did find it quiet and I loved it. I now okay. do crave calm. I remember once seeing um, a picture, some video footage of a tiger in a zoo. And it was just lashing its tail with its head down and it was walking in a really tight circle. Mm. And I looked at it and I related to it and I thought, that's me at a party. I just, I'm really <laughs> gregarious. I'm very, I'm an agent. You can't be an agent without being gregarious. But I've always got an eye on the door. I love to get home and I love to sit in the quiet. And my daughter's an only child as well. Mm. And we're both a bit like that. Mm. So we, we love going out, but we 
would love getting home. Oh, no, I do. Yes, I love my home. That's for sure. Yeah. I do. I'm, I'm yeah. Quite a Comfort's very important yes. to me. Whereas, um, but, um, yeah, both my sons are quite like that too, especially my younger son. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing to have, I think, because you feel very anchored and you feel very, you know, you feel like you can stand on your own two feet if you have a nice home, I think you have somewhere yes you feel comfortable and it feels like you when you're there mm. i think it's very important because I, I mean I, I did relate i mean my my parents are both dead now so they can't come and flip me around the ear but i mean the house <laughs> that, that i grew up in was a, it was a modern house it, i mean it was pretty unlovely you know mm. it was built in the 70s and i, I just didn't like it at yeah. all really know. oh that's a shame no, I just couldn't wait to escape to something yeah. Victorian or yeah. Edwardian or something with a, with feel. a, bit, a bit of character, yeah. a bit of, you know, ooh, yeah. floorboards, which is why, yeah. you know, earlier um, Alice was saying that my house looked like something out of my, my flat, rather, I should say. See, I still think I live in a house. My flat <laughs> um, looks like something out of homes and, you know, home interiors. It's, I have to tell you, it's very swish here. Very swish well, indeed. I'm very, I'm very posh, really. <laughs> Um, no, but I've always gone for things with with yeah. kind of character. I think yeah. because I because I grew up in a fairly yeah. bland seventies yeah. house on a yeah. on a nice housing estate. Yeah. Know. Anyway, um, so we were saying the book. Yes, it, it is about a house, but it's also I would say it's it's the search for it's the search for family, isn't it? Yes, identity. especially for Mac. Yeah, yeah, I think so. For Mac in the book, I think his life is a search for feeling valid that he's real. His mm. wife never questions herself she's absolutely self-confident in a non-abrasive way she just thinks she is who she is and you are who you are and i think he feels very much bereft of identity and i mean i, I hesitate to use the word identity because it's it's all we talk about now but i think in its purest form it is important to feel okay with who and what you are and he simply doesn't in fact he doesn't even know who and what he is no so he, eventually he does find out because he, he, he believes that, that both his parents died uh, in, in a bombing accident in the Second World War uh, when he was a baby. It turns out that isn't true, and his father actually was alive but left and has gone to Canada and has uh, was married, in fact, when he was with his mum and uh, has a family, and he goes over there and, and meets them, yeah. um, which is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful part of the book, I think. Uh, I also, you know, obviously, you know, Selfishly, very much enjoyed the Canadian accents. Yeah, you know, having to do that. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to oh, hearing for sure. those. Uh, they're very specific, aren't they, Canadian? Well, yes. Yeah, so also, obviously, I was I, my ex-wife. Yeah, is Canadian, so You're I'm an expert. I, so I'm, I'm able to do that a little bit, you know. Um, <laughs> but he said at the end of his meeting with his family, he says, "My little family is the sort of family I grew up envying." Yeah, and it's a big realization for yes, him. Yes, it that is. Suddenly, you know, the thing that he's been searching for all mm. along. Yeah, it's is all around him. It's all around him and, and yeah. right in front of him and, in fact, is his life. Yeah, and, and I thought I explored with Mac as well something that I see in, in my male friends these days, which is a kind of questioning of what is it to be a man now? What is it to be male? Um, mm. You know, he has this huge desire to be very husbandy and to kind of take care of everyone and to bring home the bacon and, and it's just not that straightforward. Um, you know, he's good at some things, he's bad at other things, but he's really, really good. And in this, I based him on my dad. He's really, really good at being emotional. He's really good at showing people his emotions. Mm. And I think that is becoming part of being male now in a much more valued 
sort of enjoyable, celebrated way than it used to be. You know, I remember my dad being teased by my uncles because he would cry, not just at Lassie films, but at commercials. And he was also <laughs> the sort of person who like would be wiping away tears as people were coming in, you know, never mind leaving. So he was, but for me, that was lovely because he was so cuddly and so sweet and always so like up for saying things were nice. Like he was very, um, he was very voluble about, enjoying people and I thought that often in those days men were made ashamed of feeling mm. emotions mm. and I think Mac is so full of good things and he doesn't recognize them and everybody just loves him and he doesn't accept it he doesn't no. realize it and he's you know the, he's very concerned about how to be a father I mean you know I think it's it's tricky isn't it when you have children because they just don't come out like you think they're going to no at all no and it was it, it's interesting to me that you say you've only got one child. Only got one child. That you, yeah, I haven't got the one. Just the one. No spare. No, but but um, because you write so so wonderfully, I think about about children and having children and on all that different the the emotion and of course, mm. um, uh, Mac and Marie are, are sort of perennial rescuers as well. In fact, yes. they, they rescue another child. At one yes, point they do. Who comes to live with them and and you know and they are they are the sort of people you you would want yeah. to be, you know, your yeah. surrogate parents yeah. or to be your parents in, yeah. in many ways. Not not that they're, you know, they're yeah. flawless. But, no, totally. Yeah, but they have so much emotion. And, and and in the last knockings, they will always go, oh, come on then and look after you. Yes. And I like people like that. I really admire people with character and who can like, withstand, but I admire people more who go, oh, for God's sake, come in then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll make an extra place at the table. And I, I feel that's very important in life. And, yeah, I've, I I really liked that about them. But, actually, this is interesting because I can ask you as another only child, um, I found I study families really closely. Like, if I'm in a house with somebody who has, like, two brothers... I was forensically studying how they all spoke to each other. I found it fascinating. I was like Richard, At David Attenborough, rather, uh, looking at lions. I was thinking, so what? Do they really like each other? Because I used to think, I'd hate to have a sim. Oh, my God, I'd have to share my mum and dad. And, oh, I might have my own room. I was very princessy. And and I think, do they really? Yeah, they do like each other. Oh, but they argue about that. And they, I, I just found it. So I've spent my whole life forensically examining people. So that all goes into the books. It's an outlet for okay. all that. Well, no, because yes. Well, then that's that's that sort of makes sense then, because you do mm. your study of human nature and, and the way people interact with each other and the whole yeah. f the, the way families interact. I think it's brilliant in in, in the book. Yeah. It really is. So you would never have wanted a brother or sister growing up then. No, absolutely not. Okay. See, I was desperate. Oh. Well, um, you see, because I'm Irish, I was the only only child. So all oh, my yes, of course. everybody else had like the the smallest family in our immediate family was four children. So yeah. there was four, there was five, there was six. There was one poor auntie with seven. Wow. Um, so when we visited, I would be struck dumb by the cacophony around <laughs> me because our house was so quiet. It was all fondant fancies, and you know, um, oh, I did I did like a fondant oh, fancy. I still love a fondant I fancy. Said, favorite favorite flavor. Even though they make me sick, it's the pink. Mm. Are you chocolate? Chocolate. Yeah. Obviously. I could tell from my... Yeah, yeah. I think it's a male thing. Yes. Um. <laughs> Walks ahead of you. So, yeah, so I... No, I never wanted one. I tell you when I did, though, when my parents were ill, I would have loved to have someone to take the yes. slack. Yes. I really would have loved it. And then I would have loved someone to talk to about them. Yes. I'm lucky in that I have a really good old friend who almost grew up in our house because she didn't like her own house. 
I hope you're not listening, Janet. Um, but um, And she remembers them really well and loved them and we talk about them. But yeah, it would be nice to have someone to talk to about them in ungloing terms, you know, because all my, all my cousins think, yes. oh, my Uncle Jamie was lovely. Yeah. And he was lovely, but he also drove me mad. It would be nice sure. to be able to bitch about them. To yes, yes, yes. And, and, and the care thing is... It's huge. Yeah, know, it is. It really are, is. Are your parents? They're both us? gone now. Yeah, they've gone yes. quite a while. Twenty years now. But um, wow. Okay. Yeah, they followed each other in a polite sort of sequence. Um, but yeah, it was. So they were young. No, my father was very old. He was fifty when I was born. Oh, wow. So okay. my mum was younger, but she was in her seventies when she died. So so yeah, um, they they toddled off kind of close together, but I think. If it goes well, I think one of the really good parts of being an only child is your closeness is not thought about. Like, I never rebelled against my parents. No. No, nor me. There seemed no need. No. Um, so, yeah, I think very, like, fondly of them. I don't have sort of complex feelings about them. No, I don't. I don't. That's interesting. And I wonder, I mean, obviously, <laughs> turning into a therapy session. It is. I, I, but I wonder if that is to do with being an only child or just yeah. to do with the relationship one has with those particular people i don't know so talking about the children who didn't turn out perhaps the way they wanted were you charmed by dan so mac and marie have a son yeah uh their firstborn is dan and they have a daughter as well called uh called emma and uh and emma and emma and dan's relationship is quite fractious because dan is sort of the golden boy yeah yeah Uh, and he's every he charms everybody yeah Uh, but he's a bit of a from the crib he's a bit of a wastrel really isn't he Or, or sort of he's a bit of a I think that's a that's another throwback to my agent days. I knew so many young men who got into acting for reasons of wanting to shine and wanting to be admired and looked at. And I felt Dan was very much like that. And never stopping to think, what am I doing? Mm. What's the carnage in my wake? So I did like him. I felt sorry for him because he really struggled in making any kind of meaningful relationship. And he really got carried away with thinking drugs were fun and clever and that money was a kind of bleach that cured all ills Mm. um and um when i was glad he had a a late he has a late epiphany where he kind of cleans up but i really really have always wanted somebody in a book and i got to do it with dan who goes into cheese making in a frivolous way sexy farmer sexy farmer Spoiler alert, the, the cheese the cheese company that Dan makes and does very well is called Sexy Farmer. And, you know, that is just brilliant because it would sell. Well, it's because that guy positive, out of Blur, isn't it? Y- yes. Um, What's his name? Not Damon Albarn. No, ja- the other one. James. Something. James something, something indeed. Yes. And he just started making cheese and suddenly every celebrity had that cheese at their yes, wedding. And I'd I was thinking to myself... I don't Brilliant. think that cheese is going to be that nice. He's a pop star. <laughs> what does he know about making cheese? And it was triggered by a friend of mine who's a songwriter and a very sort of poetic, whimsical person. He's got kind of floppy blonde hair and everything. And he had this thing where he left his wife and he came back to Britain from France. And I said to him, what are you going to do? I mean, I met him and he was quite, quite a sad figure. We were sitting in a club in London, members club. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, perfectly seriously, I think I'm going to make cheese. I mean, he never even, I don't think he's even eaten that much cheese. So I love this fact that a midlife crisis brings about cheese, but that you can turn it into a gold mine just by settling it to the Kate right Moss. Marketing. You yes. know. 
But the name is terrific. Sexy Farmer. Yeah, it's I did look that name. up. I thought somebody must have no, already name. done it, but they it's haven't. One of the joys of books, actually, is making up names for brands and streets and houses and, and all that. I love doing that. I love coming up with, with names. My, In fact, a good friend of mine who's a novelist, Louise Candlish, she said... Um, she said she thinks all writers, their dream job would be naming Farrow and Ball paints. And I think that's true. <laughs> that's what we really want to do. <laughs> yes, I, I believe I may have elephant's breath. Elephant's on breath. My, on my, I've on got my some mouse's back in my house. <laughs> I mean, initially, absolutely ludicrous. And also the great thing is to hear, because I had some, some guys, some builders who, who actually did my... Uh, uh, painting did a, the, the conversion here, and, and they go. So Simon, is it, it's the elephant's breath, yeah. right? You got it, isn't it? Is it elephant's breath or is it the, 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 the mouse back? What's yeah. that? And you're like, I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> you're thinking, oh God, I'm so middle class. It's wonderful. Yeah, I know it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yes, it, in answer to your question, yes, I did like Dan. I wanted Dan to be all right, and I wanted him and Mac to be all right, and I wanted there to be a redemption for him of sorts, although. I did end the book thinking the wheels would come off with Dan. I, I don't think he's really calmed down. I think he's one of those old-fashioned... He's married a GP horrors. now, though. So. A GP. They didn't see that coming. They didn't see that coming. Because it was all uh, age-inappropriate girls before. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, so yes, I did like Dan. And um, I kind of liked them all. You know, I've got a lot of practice as an agent... At liking people who aren't that nice. Mm. So, <laughs> I, uh, I can find it in me to be okay. maternal. And so, so Mac and Marie yeah. have a wonderful marriage. They do, I think. But not, an, not a, well, I was going to say not an exceptional marriage, but maybe it is an exceptional marriage. And I think actually, may, I mean, you know, speaking of somebody who's fairly recently divorced, um, you know, maybe it is an exceptional marriage just because it's, it's a long-term marriage. It, yeah, they it stick lasts. at it. They stick at it. They stick at it. But they're clearly so in love from the get-go, and yeah. that doesn't change, does it? I think she's... Marie is the sort of woman who expects to be in love with her husband, thought he was great, you know, nabbed him. I think mm. she's very voracious as a character. Duped him into uh, Absolutely. Going out with him. He didn't even know he was duped until, like, decades later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think she just saw him, went for it, it worked... And this is my husband now. Whereas I think he is more of a... He's more insecure as a character and he's also more contemplative than her. So I think the fact that he is mad about her is very interesting to mm. me. And it's based mm. on, you know, this sleight of hand, a man called Ian McTavish, who I used to work for. And he was married, still is married, to a very vivacious person who kind of just ran around, ran around, took very little notice of him. And he would just like, when she left a room, he would look after her, you know, <laughs> as if he could still see her imprint in the doorway. And I remember him saying to me once, I look forward every night to put my key in the door and knowing she's there. And that that sent the shiver down my spine. And I thought, oh, I want that. Mm. That's what I want from both sides. Yeah. And, and little old Ian McTavish does, because he appreciates it, because he's been lonely. Mm. He appreciates it. I, I she mean, doesn't. She expected it. it was I mean, it's incredibly moving, and, and the story of their their marriage, and, and the end when when yeah. he's in hospital, and, and I'm not giving anything away, but, you know, I was really kind of really tearing up while I was mm. reading it, even though I'd read it. Good. And I knew what was happening. Good. So it's, it's you know what I mean? It's, it, yeah. I knew what was coming. But it's the basics, isn't it? It's but the yeah, basics it was, of life. Yeah, it is. I suppose that's what it is. Yeah. And also, I think there's a kind of 
envy as well of people who love each other that mm. much that when they die it's just sad yes. like there's nothing else like it's not a relief it's not a oh well i'll finally go off and buy a cabin in the woods or whatever you want to do um i think there's a kind of envy of devastation you know like god you love each other that much mm. so it, it's very tender i think and i wanted to keep it that i also think if people are together for a long time and one of them gets ill you often see a resurgence of the love when they right. start to think oh my god i haven't appreciated this all this time yes. because he is boring because he snores because and suddenly they look at them again and think but you're everything to me what am i going to do mm. and that what am i going to do i thought should be sunk into the book mm. what am i going to do yeah. that panic and i yeah i felt for them both in that mm. yeah. and i suppose we also bring our own experience yes to what we're reading as Every well, time. don't we so yes Every so for time. me it was yes i think because you know the loss of, of my family if you like which i have to say hand on heart was brought about by me mm -hmm. um you know i i because there isn't these people haven't managed to, to maintain this this yeah. You know, very yeah. lovely family yeah. was very moving to me. You yeah, know, I, yeah. I guess, no, me too. Me too. And I, I wanted to concentrate on that a little bit, kind of take a bit of time with that because it's, it's not so often now that people are together after no. thirty, forty years. No. We do tend to either want more or want less or want different or either just kind of give up. Mm -hmm. And. I mean, in a way, the story isn't about that because they really did retain love for each other. Being seen getting on each other's nerves a lot and, oh, sure, and getting sure, in each sure. other's way. And, yes. um, you know, it's a book. It all, they come around, you know, it's chapters and, and years. So they, they come around by the end of it. It's generally like there's generally resolution at the end of each chapter. And in real life, perhaps that's not so neat. But um, people just don't hang together for decades anymore. No, They just don't. So it's sad, really. Mm. In another way, it's liberating. There are probably a lot of people who shouldn't have been together in the first place. No, 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 true. But actually, there is a lot to be said for just thinking, I'm an old sock and you're an old shoe. Let's just get on with it. You know, like, just <laughs> like, oh, we're bloody married. Let's not complicate matters. Yes, and so the care home thing as well for me, again, this is the, the residents, one, one's own life and experience mm. bring to it, I suppose, because my mum was in a care home for, oh, was she? for six years. I mean, my mum uh, died uh, a year ago. This December, so no, so that's not that so long recent, ago. Simon. Yeah, very recent. She was she was very elderly. She was ninety eight when she died. Goodness me! Yes, them's good genes. And she had dementia oh. uh, for a number of years. Although, in you know, up to the age of ninety one or something, she was absolutely fine. And I just really? thought she's going to miss it. You know, yeah, she, you she's thought you thought that the, the danger passed. Yeah, yeah. But and we used to look at photos a lot. I mean, photographs of of, yes, of her life. Her actual um, and it's interesting because some of them she could remember and mm. just some of them absolutely no. not. And she couldn't remember my dad at all. And they Thank were married you. for 56 years. You know. And How did I, that feel for you? It was, yeah, I mean, I got used to it. It was very yeah. sad at first. And yeah. she'd often think I was her, She well, she'd often think I was her, her husband yeah. uh, or her brother. Yeah. She had two younger brothers, both of whom passed before she did. And she would often think I was her brother. But she would also, she would, she would always know that she loved me. And she'd say... So who are you? You are my brother, aren't you? And I'd say, no, no, Mum, I'm, I'm Simon. I'm your son. Are you? Oh, how lovely, she'd say. Oh. I do love you. And I'd say, oh, thank you. Oh, I do love you too. Oh. So that was very, that was very yeah. nice. You yeah. know, it was nice to hear it from her. Exactly. That yeah. was very nice. Oh. Um, but yeah, very often. Yeah. yeah. Complicated. Complicated. Yeah. The occasions when she, I, I showed a photograph of a girlfriend 
And I said, so, you know, this is my girlfriend, and what do you think? And she said, hmm. And I said, what? She said, well, no, it's just that, you know, I thought I was your girlfriend. <laughs> said, um, Gosh, what marshy territory yes, to navigate. Uh, no, actually, mum. Um, <laughs> clues in the name. Clues in the name. Oh, bless, bless her. her. Yeah, bless, bless. her. My, uh, I, my parents didn't have dementia, and the only person with dementia I've really known was my husband's grandmother who just got the most delightful dementia where all she did i mean got a bit dull but all she did was sit down and sing burlington bertie from bow over and over and she was happy all the live long day she didn't know anyone she was singing burlington bertie from bow and she was oh, happy as a sandbag I'm burlington bertie i rise at 10 30 i saunter along like a toff how do I know that? I know. I know. How do you, How know, do that? you know that? It's hardly a. a pop- no. I know. I we all know those those, those silly old, old things, songs, yes. don't we? Odd, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, they're just embedded in us. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, what do I want to ask you? I mean, there's so many things. As I say, I, I feel like we've only sort of scratched the surface of this wonderful book. But I, I just, I, I can't tell you. I, it, it, it really. Yes, it was very special to me to, oh, to read this because I, I normally read an awful lot of crime novels. Yeah. Um. And to be honest, I didn't know who the murderer was in this one right up until the very end. Um, it was all of them. It was all of them. Uh, no, and of course, this is very much not a crime no, there's novel. There's no murder. Um, there's no murder. But uh, but it's, it's, it was just a wonderful, wonderful story, I thought. Oh, I'm really glad. I'm very glad you liked it. That's all authors want to be read and okay. enjoyed. Good. And so thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, you were definitely an Asian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank, just thank the actors. Exactly. Oh, God, tell the actors they're great. Oh, tell the actors they're great. Oh, yeah. It is terrible, isn't it? Yes. Actors are like children. Anyway, um, excellent. Listen, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to talk Yeah, it has been. Thank you. Right. Great fun. Oh, Simon, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, I can hear you. Just, uh, give me a bit for level, yeah? Yeah, sure. Okay. Deep in the heart of suburban England, a 1970s... Hello, Stephen. This is Clem Fandango. Can you hear me? Sorry? Hello, Stephen. It's Simon, actually. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I know. I, I was just doing a thing, you know, from, from Toast, uh, Toast of London. You know, the thing about voiceovers, it's very funny. Do you not know it? I, I've never seen it, actually. No, sorry. Oh, never mind. <laughs> sorry. Um... Anyway, the mood for this is uh, quite sinister. It's quite serious. Um, Mark's going to play you the music bed, yeah? Okay. So if you could read to that, that would really help with the mood. Sure. Is that more summer music coming? Deep in the heart of suburban England, a 1970s new build stands empty. The house is small and ugly. Best-selling author Alice Kavanagh takes us on a heartwarming journey through fun... Sorry, sorry, can I just can I just stop there a sec? Um... The script does say um, takes us on a heartwarming journey through five decades of family life. The script seems slightly at odds with with, with doing it in in that style, no? Yeah, Simon, uh, yeah, Jake here. Um, Yeah, I know what you're saying, but we wanted something a little bit more edgy because really, you know, there's so many kind of heartwarming romance sort of stories out there and we wanted this one to to feel a little bit bit different, a little bit more threatening, yeah? Um, no, no, sure, 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 but... Okay, look, I, I tell you what, um, you might have a point. Um, tell you what, we're going to try it with some slightly different music. See how that goes. Stand by, Simon, music coming. This is the house of their dreams, a place where their love and their children can grow. 
Best-selling author Alice Kavanagh takes us on a heart... Yeah, Simon, um, can you try slightly more French? Um, I, I, I don't speak French. No, no, I mean French accent. Try, try French accent, yeah? Um, yeah, uh, okay, sure. Music coming. It is the house of their dreams, a place where their love and their children can grow. Best-selling author Alice Kavanagh takes us on a heartwarming journey through five decades of family life. Simon, yeah, yeah, we really like that. Um, just, just hang tight a sec, and uh, we'll get back to you. Okay. Hi, Simon. Actually, yeah, brilliant. We discovered that one of the characters in the book is actually from Ireland, so um, we're going to go with a bit of bit of an Irish flavour. If you want to do an accent, that's great, or or, or maybe just try the French again. Uh, up to you, really. Yeah, music coming. The hills are small and ugly, but for newlyweds Mac and Marie, this house is the answer to all their prayers. It's the house of their dreams. Hi, Simon. Yeah, um, actually, we think we're going to try something a little bit different. And there is sadness, but there's also laughter and joy, you know, along the way in the novel. So if we could get some of that in- into this reader and, and some new-, new music on the way. Thanks. Music coming. Deep in the heart of suburban England, a 1970s new build stands empty. The house is small and ugly, but... Th- th- Hi, Simon. Yeah, it-, it needs way more warmth. Uh, and excitement and, and, and smile. It's heartwarming, not sort of heart indifferent. Okay, ha- have another go. Yeah, thanks. Here's it coming. Best selling author Alice Kavanagh takes us on a heartwarming journey through five decades of family life, meeting sadness, laughter, and joy along the way. Uh, yeah, Simon, yeah. Um, okay, thanks. You hear the whistle in the music, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, to us, that's sort of very, you know, builders. Think of that, you know. So could you go slightly more buildery with, uh, with, the, whole, with the whole accent read thing, yeah? Just, just see where that takes us. Okay, great, thanks, thanks. Music coming. The house is small and ugly, but for newlyweds Mac and Marie, this house is the answer to all their prayers. It's the house of their dreams, a place where their love and their children can grow. Hello, Simon. Yeah, um, yeah it's not quite working for us, I'm afraid. It's a little bit too, uh, too wicks. You know, um, I think we might just try the uh, try the Irish once again, but this time uh, with a little more edge to it. So if you go back to the very, very first read, if you can remember that, um, sort of make it quite edgy, quite sinister, quite dark, but also very Irish. OK, and sort of uplifting. Music coming. Deep in the heart of suburban England, a 1970s new build stands empty. The house is small and ugly. But for newlyweds Mac and Marie, this house is the answer to all their prayers. It's the house of their dreams, a place where their love and their children can grow. Best-selling author Alice Kavanagh takes us on a heartwarming journey through five decades of family life, meeting sadness, laughter and joy along the way. The House That Made Us by Alice Kavanagh. Out now. Ah, great, Simon, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I think we've... uh... I think we've got it there somewhere. Um, yeah, come on through. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more in the series, please visit our website, www.talkingbooks.org.uk.